Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning, but who boy, it's going to be hot. I mean, what do you expect? It's the solstice. This is the last day of spring. Saturday is the first day of summer. That's okay. For the next hour or so, we're going to talk gardening. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing, and this is Mississippi Public Broadcasting's weekly garden party. We call it the Gestalt Gardener. Our producer is the awesome Java Chapman. Over the next hour or so, we got some cheesy music. Got a lot of, uh, got a few emails to share with you. A couple of things you can be doing in your garden, even this time of year. But mostly, it's live here at MPB. I'm going to be talking with you in real time about what's going on or not in your own garden. Live program, folks. Sit back. Join me. We'll give the phone numbers, toll-free phone numbers after this. But we're going to take a quick break and then come back and start getting dirty. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Again, horticulture's filled a rushing, and we've got plenty of time to talk about all things gardening. Got all sorts of folks behind us. It's not just me, but my producer, Java Chapman, the esteemed Jay White, is our phone greeter today. So if you want to give us a call, it's toll-free. Uh, we'll put you right on and chat about whatever's on your gardening mind. Uh, the toll-free number is one eight seven seven M. P.B. Ring. M.P.B. stands for Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Uh, got some interesting things that happened this week, uh, uh, but uh, let me share some things I found out online. Uh, a master gardener from Union County up in New Albany uh, named Denise Pugh sent me a link to a really cool podcast called The Daily Gardener. Um, the Daily Gardener, I guess, podcast is how you would find it. Uh, anyway, it's got all sorts of interesting tidbits every day of the week. Every all year long, uh, you know, things like a quote for the day, but famous horticulture garden slash influential people who were born that day, things that are going on. And also some pretty interesting insights. One of them, uh, she thought about our cheesy tune when she learned a little history of the, the uh, Rolling Stones song, Jumping Jack Flash. By the way, there's a Mississippi connection. Rolling Stones took their name from a Muddy Waters tune by that name. Anyway, apparently, according to Keith Richards, he and Mick Jagger were staying at Richards' country home, and they were uh, awakened one morning by a really loud, clumping foot, footsteps of his gardener named Jack Dwyer walking past the window. Uh, Jagger said, what's that? And Richards said, oh, that's Jumping Jack. And the lyrics took off from there. Anyway, interesting little tidbits. The website also had a link to something. I want to start myself. Maybe some of you can do this. There's not any that I know of in Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee. Uh, might be something worth trying. Uh, maybe you've seen this. Your town may have these little small corner libraries, um, you know, that, that are people put in their yards. Just colorful, weatherproof boxes. They're on posts, and they, they have books in them that neighbors put in there, they borrow a share with one another. It's a little free neighborhood, uh, standalone free libraries. Anyway, somebody came up with this idea called a little free herbery. A little small raised bed or a bin container down by the curb that's got culinary herbs like, you know, rosemary, oregano, chives, maybe cement, uh, and, and also some small plastic bags and scissors so neighbors who don't have gardens could come by and cut a little for their kitchen. I think that's a great idea. I'm thinking about 
putting one along the front of my garden for the neighborhood kid. We have uh, parents and kids who walk past my garden. Wouldn't it be cool to have a little thing out there, especially for the kids and young parents, to snip a little bit of culinary herb to put on pizza or in their, their spaghetti or something like that so kids can touch and smell and feel and experience and also have food ownership. Anyway, a little free herbery. Eh, think about it. Worst can happen, somebody take the whole plant, but you know, that's gardening. I always have a few rooted. Uh, by the way, rosemary will root in three weeks in water. Take a piece about, oh, four or five inches long, strip all but just a few leaves at the top, put in some water. Three weeks, you got rooted rosemary plants. Wouldn't it be cool for a little free herbery to have a little small free herb plant for people to take home? Anyway, like I said, as far as I know, not in Mississippi yet. So anyway, give it a try. Hey, let's go to uh, to Brandon and talk with Jerry. Hey, Jerry, how are you this morning? Doing fine, Felder. Good. I've got a quick question. i got a Peggy Martin rose that I have got to move. It's beautiful, but it's in too much shade, so it's not uh-huh. blooming. But it's got like six or seven foot uh, runners on it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Can can I when can I move it and can I put that in a real large uh you know those barrels or they look like barrels yeah barrels uh, yeah uh, you you could Peggy Martin is by the way it's, it's one of the the it's just a stunning climbing rose just stunning and you know why it's named Peggy Martin by any chance I this, this what, is didn't have to do with Katrina. That's right, Lady Peggy Martin. It survived being under twenty feet of water and survived. Anyway, that's it, it. And it's been around a long time. Peggy Martin, the rose has been around old home sites for a long, long time. But we don't know the names. So that's what she's called. But to answer your question, the best time to move anything is going to be when it's dormant, which in this case would be in the winter time. But you can move any plant if you'll go ahead and prepare the place where it's going first, whether it's digging a hole or getting your pot full of potting soil. And then, really important, this time of year. Cut it way back, and it'll sprout back out. If you don't cut it, it's going to suck itself dry. But if you cut it way back to just, you know, two or three or four feet long, it'll sprout back out within two or three weeks, and it won't know it's been been moved. But that'll save its life. Yeah. I, I hated to cut it. It was so pretty, but I oh, yeah. figured I was going to need to cut it to move. Well, if, 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 you, if you... If you don't cut it, it almost certainly will die. If you do cut it, it was just it won't even skip a beat hardly. Uh, as far as keeping it in a container, though, this is a pretty vigorous plant. It might be better, you know, if you could plant it in the ground uh, where you're going to put the container, and then put a container on top and plant something else in it. And then when you water the rose in a container, that'll water the rose too. But it okay. would be, it'd be a lot it'd be a lot easier, more vigorous, and less maintenance if you go ahead and put it in the ground. Put it in the ground. Okay. How do I prepare the hole? What should I put in it? Well, uh, first of all, mostly the stuff that comes out. I would dig a hole not more than about a foot, a good shovel, maybe a foot deep, and a couple of three feet wide, which is not easy to do in this kind of heat and humidity. But if you'll mm-hmm. do that and, 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 and chop up the big pieces pretty well, and then just spread three or four inches of something like bark or cheap potting soil and compost, two or three or four inches of the stuff on top and then stir together. Sort of like crumbling up a handful of crackers on top of a bowl of chili and stirring it in. That way you'll have mostly your dirt, but it'll be loosened up with organic matter. And the rose will, it, by digging it two or three, at least two, maybe three feet wide, you're not going to have to, it's going to grow quicker roots and not have to be watered as much. Okay. So you might, you might want to think about digging, you might want to dig the hole and then think twice about moving the rose till next week. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's true. That's true. I, I may even wait until uh, a little bit later, like September, October. Yeah. Well, now it, you still need to cut it back because it, you know it, you're you're going to leave most of the roots behind. Here's something else you can do. If you can go to that much trouble, go ahead and put the rose in it, and then plant just some flowers or some herbs or basil or something around, it and just treat it like a little flower bed. If you take care of the flowers or the herbs all summer, that's more than enough for the rose too. And that way you get double duty out of all that digging. Yeah, sounds good. I don't like digging. I don't know. Well, not this time. Yeah, I, I love playing in the dirt, but I don't like digging. And you know, this is the last day of spring, but by tomorrow it's going to be a real chore. Yes, I hear you in the south. Thanks, Elder. Yep. Appreciate it. Okay. Good luck on it, Jimmy. Thank you so much for calling. All righty, we're going to slide from uh, from Rankin County all the way up to Lafleur County. Kevin's calling from Greenwood. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Felder. Uh, I've got a couple of live oak questions for you. In fact, I've been meaning to email you some pictures and never got around to it, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've got a beautiful live oak, the, the centerpiece of my front yard. Um, but I've got, and it's it's leafed out well. I mean, you know, looking at it from afar, it looks perfectly healthy. But I do yeah. have, for me, an uncomfortable amount of dead in it. And yeah. so I was wondering... Uh, even compared to some of my neighbors, it's just a lot of it. Uh, yeah. And don't do I need to cut all that out? Is it wasting energy trying to feed those dead limbs? Well, it's a, first of all, the dead limbs they're sealed off. You're not feeding anything there. Uh, I, I actually grew and transplanted and planted live oaks from a garden center over in Sunflower County back when back in the the, the 60s and 70s. And live oaks are kind of, I hate to say this because they're all over the place, they're a little borderline, you know, in North Mississippi, and they're more subject to sudden hard freezes, long, hot, dry spells, or in the Delta, if you've got really heavy dirt, you know, their roots are really better suited for well-drained soils like you find along the coast. So it's going to have some kind of root damage is what I'm saying. That'll cause some of the the smaller limbs and, and, and branches and twigs to die. My general feeling, this is based on a lot of working with, with teaching this tree surgery course and all that, if it looks okay from across the street, the general silhouette, if it's got live limbs all up in the top, and it's just the sort of inner cluttered stuff, the lower stuff that's dying, you can just cut that off, just make you feel better, but it's not going to help the, hurt the tree one way or the other. But you might want to thin out some of the, so, you know, the dead stuff, don't leave any kind of stubs, and maybe a few of the cluttered branches maybe a couple of limbs, just so there's not quite as much workload on the tree. But uh, right. if it looks okay from across the street, I'm sorry, go ahead. if it looks at the silhouette, of if it doesn't have dead limbs up high in it, then in general it's going to be healthy. That's a good rule of thumb. And you, So you're just talking about thinning out some of the cluttered, the dead stuff, and some of the crowded stuff. The main thing is don't leave any kind of stubs, and you can do that any time you get around to it. All right, and so... Yeah, like on the notch of a crepe myrtle where the little shoots come off and you trim them. Uh, I've got some of that growing on the trunk as well, going and prune, even though that's green, probably going and prune yeah. that too. So it's yeah, out yeah, the that's, that's right. I think that's right. A little bit of a foggy area near it in one spot, maybe try to work on the drainage in that spot. Well, you know, the, the whole the whole Delta is a drainage problem. I'm from the Delta, you know. And what happens is, you know, we'll go weeks with, with nothing but just rain. And so the roots, you know, the, the deep roots drown. That's the reason these roots have got 
are on top of the ground. They can't breathe down deep. So I wouldn't so much worry about that. Just thin out some of the clutter. And um, again, don't leave it. Whatever you cut off, cut it off as if it were not there. Don't leave any stubs. And that's the best rule of thumb anybody can give you. All right. Well, thank you. And the fern and moss that grows on it, that's okay. Uh, actually, actually, that's superior. Wonderful, because it is absolutely <laughs> gorgeous for that. Well, thank you so much for your time. Okay, appreciate it. Hey, thanks for your call, Kevin. Okay, now slide down to South Mississippi to Purvis. Hey, Cheryl, what's up this morning? Yes, um, I was listening to you not long ago, and you were talking about spreading uh, bone meal around so that the the worms would come up and eat it, and it would strengthen your soil and uh, aerate it and get it good mm-hmm. and healthy. Well, mm-hmm. I did that, and I put some on my blackberries. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the that I did not. We were having some trouble at that point, and, and I didn't get my blackberries watered during the, the dry spell that we've had. Uh, but they have not done well at all. It's like the the edges of them, the ends of them are dying back. And the, yeah. it, it had plenty of berries, but they've dried up. Yeah. Did well, yeah, a couple of things. First of all, it was cotton seed meal that I recommend, not bone meal. Oh, okay. It, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Cotton seed meal is more like a fertilizer that also feeds the worms. Bone meal is mostly phosphorus, which is you know is good for flowering and fruiting plants, but you don't need to add bone meal more than every three or four years because phosphorus lasts a long time. It was cotton seed meal that cotton feeds your worms. It really. Yeah, uh, but I, I I suspect that your blackberries are suffering from probably weather-related problems. Okay. If it stayed really, really wet or they stayed really dry, this affects the growth weeks and months later, sometimes even the next year. So as long as the plants are fairly healthy, you might want to cut some of the tall branches back mm-hmm. because, okay. you know, what commercial growers do with their blackberries is we get through picking in, in June and July – They'll cut them back to about a foot tall. That gets rid of all the old canes, but it stimulates strong new growth for next year. So cutting them back, if they don't have berries on them, you could cut them back to a foot or two, and they'll just fill out with strong growth that's probably better balanced with the damaged root system. So as long as they don't have berries on them or once you get through picking berries, just go ahead and cut those old long canes back, and they'll fill out a whole lot more for next year. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, good luck on it, Cheryl. It's hot out there. Hope you're wearing a hat staying hydrated. Right. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Okay, Jim and Lisa, if y'all stay on the line, I appreciate you giving a call. We're going to take a real quick break, a little short break. We don't have commercial breaks, but we do have uh, uh, people who support the program and little news and stuff. But anyway, I'm Horticulture's Fellow Rushing, uh, Mia and Java and uh, Jay. We're going to take a little break, come back with some more phone calls. We'll give the toll-free number when we come back from the break. But keep in mind, the last day of the spring, first day of the summer, we got stuff to talk about. And if I can help you or lead you some areas or maybe hold you back from the abyss, I'll be happy to do that. Horticulture's Fellow Rushing, Gestalt Garden here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We'll be right back with more right after this. Alrighty, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing. And by the way, in my weekly columns that go out to uh, the weeklies and dailies across Mississippi, the newspapers, this coming week I'm talking about Petrichor. 
A lot of people don't know what Pechacura are, but if you've ever smelled a rain before, you know, when a, a thunderstorm's come in and you say, I can smell the rain, what's happening? That low front, the low pressure zone is coming in and is pulling air out of the soil. And there's this stuff in the in the dirt, this oil called geosmin. And when it comes up, it volatilizes and you can smell it. That's what mushrooms smell like. That's what catfish smell like. That's what skunky lake water smells like. Doesn't hurt anything, but when you can smell a rain, that you can tell there's a low pressure front coming in and it's pulling those wonderful earthy gases up for us to say, hey, we're alive. Hey, let's go to a Strayhorn and talk with Lisa. Hey, Lisa, where's Strayhorn? It's uh, west of Sanitobia. Okay, so uh, west of Sanitobia, that's the hardcore delta up there, ain't, or are you at the edge of the delta? We're, we're, yeah, we're on, we're on the last of the hills. Okay, though, well, what can we help you with? I've got some tomato plants in five-gallon buckets, and a couple mm -hmm. of them, it looks like the leaves are almost turning a purple color towards the bottom and dying off, dying off at the ends, and a little bit of, looks like kind of soot on them. Who that might be two different things there. Um, and <laughs> it's been a while since I've thought about there. I can't remember the purple color is too much or not enough of one of the kind of fertilizer. What kind of fertilizer do you use in those containers? Uh, I've used Miracle Grow a couple of times. Okay, well, Miracle Grow not real strong, not real strong though. Yeah, well, Miracle Grow is a good one, and, and I recommend using it at half strength, but you need to use it fairly regularly because it's real fast. It's like a, you know, it's like a Snickers bar, then it's gone. So, you know, if if you're going to use the Miracle Grow alone, you need to use it. I'm going to say at least every couple of weeks or every four or five waterings because it okay. just doesn't last long. And you know, if it's a nutrient problem, that should take care of it. Uh, to me, I'm getting uh, calls and emails from around the the South right now because it's so hot that uh, tomato plants, especially if it's growing on, like on a patio or something, a lot of radiated heat, uh, this causes all sorts of stress to plants that are actually native to the Andes. Uh, their flowers will drop off, sometimes little fruits will drop off, and, uh, and it can affect how their leaves look. It can even make the leaves curl or roll. But uh, okay. let's just try the miracle Grow half-strength a little bit more often. And uh, if the plants are in containers and you got them up against like a, a wall or something, move them out so they don't get quite so much heat, especially all night long, and see if they don't perk up that way. And that's yeah, just an educated guess. Yeah, because uh, they're next to a silver camper. Too, uh, well, I have to move them out to get some more sun because have enough sun. But okay, I'll try that. Thank you. Okay, good luck on it. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're getting, I'm getting a lot of calls about uh, tomato plants dropping their flowers. Beans will drop their flowers and little beans to uh, peppers will do it. Plants that are native to cooler areas, uh, when it gets hits the mid-90s or stays there, particularly in the south where it stays hot all night, uh, they'll drop their little flowers. Not much you can do except hold back on the fertilizer, use less at a time, water the plants well, but don't keep them wet. Now let's slide to uh, Jackson and talk to Jim. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning, Father. Jim Rosenblatt here. Hope Howdy. How are you doing? Doing fine. Say, we've got a gap in a row of azaleas, and my wife is interested, instead of trying to buy one and match it, to take a cutting from one of the azaleas and root it so that the colors will be the same. Is it yeah. late in the year to do that? It is a good time of year. Evergreen plants like azaleas and hollies and things that keep the leaves all year, they root best when the new growth comes out in the spring. It kind of toughens up a little bit, what they call semi-hardwood. And June and July are great times to root it. 
a little bit tricky because you have to, to make like a little small greenhouse to, to keep the humidity high and, you know, in bright light, not too hot. Because if you put it in full sun, it's going to overheat like, a, like you know, leaving your, your dog in a car. But if you'll make a little tent and put them in a bright, shady area, keep them moist, you can root them pretty well. And they should grow roots within, oh, I'm going to say six weeks or so. They should have some roots, and, and by fall, you can transplant them. I've also seen uh, limbs from the azaleas that touch the ground, and they grow roots where they touch the ground. Is it possible to yeah. cut those off and plant them that way? Yes, but but when they do that, typically they're not going to have really good roots because they're growing in just almost like real dirt, and you need to cut them back. You know, in other words, don't have a three foot long branch with just a few. Go ahead and cut them back to a you know a few inches or a foot long if you're going to do that. You know, it might also be a, a time, good time, Jim. You know, not to to get into anybody else's business, but to put something like a an oak leaf hydrangea or something besides azaleas, so that you have something in the other time of the year besides just as it's okay to have something to to mix flowering shrubs up for different seasons. So you might even want to think about using an opportunity to put a little out of azalea season diversity out there. Just just a thought. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that call. Okay. Appreciate your call. Thank you so much. Take care, Felder. All righty. You know, folks, this is going to be really, really hot the next month or so. Plants need water, but they don't need to be kept wet. A good deep soaking, like my garden got from all these rains, every few weeks is better than keeping plants wet every day. I just set some brand-new plants out in my garden, and if they get a good soaking every three or four weeks, I'm happy, they're happy, but if you put plants out and you water them all the time, that's actually a disservice. Water deeply, but not often. Now let's go over to Clinton and talk with Gerald. Hey, Gerald, thank you for calling. Hey, how are you? Hi, uh, what's I, going on? Well, I want to talk to you about knockout roses. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I planted several, several, uh, beginning maybe about three or four years ago, and invariably, they do really well, and then one by one, they almost uh, overnight, they die. And uh, I'm wondering if it has something to do with the voles or the moles uh, eating the roots. Well, it, it could be voles. Moles eat grub worms and earthworms. You know, they'll hump the dirt mm -hmm. up. There won't be any question if you've got moles because they'll be out in the open pushing up those little tunnels. Uh, yeah. Voles are smaller. They're smaller than mice, and, uh, and if you'll check around the base of the plant, you can actually find the little holes that you can stick your finger in where they, they uh -huh. come, c come up. But voles will eat the roots of plants. Not much we can do about those, unfortunately. We don't have any kind of poisons or repellents that work really well, but I would also wonder, and, and by the way, if that's a happen, when you pull the plant up, it won't have any roots. They'll, they'll be all chewed off. Oh, okay. okay. So that would be I'll pretty be obvious. Fair. It it, it could be something as simple as uh, it, it, there's two things that I do when I set plants out, and I never mm -hmm. fail to do this. People who don't do both of these end up with problems almost always. When you dig a hole, a foot or so deep is about deep enough, but wide is really important. Wide, and yeah. then keep And then keeping your native dirt but adding stuff to it. So it's a combination yeah. of mostly your dirt or some other stuff. And then here's the real kicker. When you pull a plant out of the pot, it's really important to loosen up the potting soil and roots. Stir that uh -huh. potting soil in. If you just pull them out of the pot, stick them in the ground, I can almost guarantee within three or four or five years, I can pull those plants up. They still have that same pot-shaped root. So wide holes, yeah. a little extra stuff, loosen up the potting soil and roots. 
and uh, try not to keep them too wet. And uh, otherwise, yeah, they're not. They're not they, they actually, uh, I'll have one one knockout rose about five feet away, and it'll be doing beautifully, and then the, that the other one will just die suddenly, and then you know, in, a, in a few weeks, that one will die. So, uh, well, there 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 are some there are some root diseases that can cause that, but typically uh-huh. they're going to be in places that stay a little too wet or the water too often. So, like yeah. I say, soil preparation and loosening the roots and yeah, trying not to keep that. them too wet. I, I see uh, sign of uh, the voles or the moles in in the lawn, so uh, I, I yeah. think that's probably what it is. Well, it, moles don't bother plants. Voles yeah. eat roots. Moles eat worms and stuff. So it would not be moles. It could be voles. But again, when oh. you pull the dead plant up, it's not going to have any roots to speak of. I will. Of, I and, will. Uh, and that'll help. Yeah. So, okay. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Well, I didn't help a whole lot. It's just kicking around some ideas, Gerald, but that's what we gardeners okay. do. Appreciate your call. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty. Hey, Java, you feel like playing a little tune here? Little little cheesy tune. Uh, yeah, we can do that. But let's um talk to oh she just hang up. Catherine, Catherine in uh, Mobile. Please give us a call back, and uh, we'll talk to you after we play this cheesy tune. Go ahead and set it up. There for you us. go. Okay, you know it is uh, today's summer summer solstice, spring summer solstice. The, the when the longest day of the year, shortest day of the year, the earth would stand still right now. So um, sun's going to start, it's going to start getting days, I don't want to get in all that, summertime. <laughs> I need to take a break, I need to get me a cup of coffee, Java. Anyway, how about hello summer, we'll be back with more of the Gestalt Gardener on Mississippi Public Broadcasting right after this. Whew! Okie dokie, folks. Feel much better. A little bit of a coffee here first thing in the morning. Y'all want to talk about gardening? It's real easy. Give me a call. It's toll-free. 
1-877-MPB ring. I don't try to sell anything and I don't know everything, but you know, after all these years, after decades, I figure some stuff out and I try to keep in mind, here's what I would do. And I wouldn't always take the horticultural scientific approach. Sometimes I take the easy way. I will throw out uh, this. Uh, if you have vegetables or, uh, or herbs, this time of year, we're starting to see problems with insects. They're starting to build up. Uh, some are good guys, some are bad guys. And the bad guys, uh, if you can live with them or thump them or you know, shake them off or squirt them off the hose, that's always better. But if you feel like you must use an insecticide, uh, keep in mind that a lot of the natural uh, insecticides we have nowadays, that contrary to the way it was when I started out 30, 40 years ago, the natural insecticides, sometimes they work as well or better than the chemical insecticides that are still available. All the harsh chemicals, most of them were taken off the market some uh, decades ago. So anyway, if you want to use an insecticide, whether it's natural or synthetic, either way, be sure to read the label. And, and I'm not, this is not that straight university thing. It's important on the label, it'll say what is is what it will control. And there's very few insecticides that will control them all. But most important, it'll tell you what is safe to use on. And if it's a vegetable or a herb, something you're going to eat, it'll give the waiting period between when you can spray and when you can safely harvest. Some things you can spray late in the afternoon, pick the stuff the next morning. Sometimes there may be a week or two waiting period when it's safe to harvest. So pick before you spray, read the label, make sure whatever you use, the natural or synthetic, that it's safe to use on that vegetable or that fruit and that you follow the waiting periods. Or better yet, think about putting netting up. You can get lightweight insect netting that, that that's big enough. That the holes are big enough to let bees to pollinators through, but it'll keep butterflies and a lot of other critters out. And that really is effective. Places where they garden a lot, you see a lot of netting. Uh, so anyway, think about netting. If you got to use insecticide, read the label before you buy it. Certainly before you use it. Uh, now let's slide over to Vicksburg and see what Jim's up to. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. How you doing, bud? So far, so good. What you got going on? Well, I went out there and I got mealybugs all over the place. I was wondering what your best solution is for them. Uh, what do they own? Shrubs or potted plants or what? Yes, all the above. <laughs> all the above. Uh, if they're mealy, mealybugs are, are soft body sucking type insects. They do have. There are some systemic insecticides that you know. Rather than you not use those because there's things that'll eat mealybugs that if it eats a mealybug that's been poisoned, it'll get poisoned too. Uh, sometimes if it's not a whole lot of stuff, if you can just spray it off with some strong soapy water, that'll get rid of the worst of them. Believe it or not, it really will. Um, but you can also try what they call insecticidal soap. Uh, it soft-bodied insects, it covers them up and it suffocates. It's not really a soap, it's just called that, but it's sold as insecticidal soap. And it'll do a good job on, on uh, mealybugs, aphids, you know, the little small sucking type oh. insects. Um, there are some stronger insecticides, but I'd try those first. All right, uh, that sounds good, but I really appreciate it. Okay. Hey, by the way, when it gets on my indoor plants, I find that little mix a little alcohol with water. I mean, you can just throw some gin on it; that'll work. But squirt them with some alcohol it, uh, will almost melt them. Oh, know okay. you know, well, you, now, why would you, I use want good alcohol on a mealybug when I can drink it? Well, <laughs> well, you 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 can use rubbing alcohol if you got it. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> good good luck on it. Hey, thanks a lot, man. You bet. By the way, folks, our our um. 
our email toll is uh, garden at mpbonline.org. Garden at mpbonline.org. And I'm online, so if you shoot me an email right away and get right on it. Meanwhile, let's slide up to Tennessee. Hey, Joe, good morning. Hello, is this Joe? Huh. I don't know if this is working or not. We'll we'll try Joe a little bit later. I'm gonna see if we can uh, connect with him again, Felder. Okay, okay, all right, nothing to it. Uh, I I did get a couple of happy solstice emails, and I appreciate those a whole bunch. And another one about tomatoes dropping their blossoms. Anything you can do? Nope. Try not to keep the plants too wet. Try not to over fertilize them. You know, keep them lean and mean. And also, if you've got tomatoes that are around a patio or a wall that's got a lot of reflected or radiated heat, that's really not good for vegetables. They like to be out, out a little bit further out. So anyway, good luck on that. I would also recommend uh, trying to keep ahead of your weeds. Um, I, I, I do a pretty good job of weeding in the spring, and then I cover everything up with mulch. And then in the fall, I weed and I cover it with the mulch. But during the summer and over the winter, if you can can keep the small weeds from getting larger and from going to seed, a whole lot easier to deal with. And believe it or not, and I've said this so many times, and this it sounds terrible, but it's absolutely true. You can slice weeds with a sharp hoe. You don't have to chop. Just sharpen a hoe. That's what those flat-bladed files are for. Sit on top of the ground and just flick your wrist and do a little scraping motion and cut them off right at the soil line. That does a really good job. Matter of fact, old gardeners used to have what we call a dust mulch. Dust mulch is where you take a hoe and just lightly work up the dirt around your plants. And that keeps the small, keeps the dirt loose. It keeps it, helps it uh, conserve moisture, but it also helps keep a lot of weed seeds from getting any any size on them. Uh, my friend, Dr. Dirt, used to be the uh, co-host of the Gestalt Gardener, used a dust, dust mulch on everything. Uh, and by the way, let me remind folks again, I said this last week, um, but the um, uh, University of Press of Mississippi, you know, you know the folks, they, they publish all sorts of stuff about the South. Uh, they gave me a contract to, to write a book about Dr. Dirt and other cottage gardens, but mostly featuring Dr. Dirt. If you, any of y'all remember Leon Goldsberry, been to his garden, got some plants, got some stories to share about it, shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org uh, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Let's go over to Vicksburg. Hey, Will, good morning, sir. Good morning to you, sir. What's up? Well, I was I just planted some hydrangeas, and I was wondering what the best kind of fertilizer would be for them. Oh well, it, these are container grown, right? I'm sorry. These are grown in pot. You bought they were in pots when you got them. They were, and I've planted them in the ground already. Yeah, uh, in general, and this this sounds kind of weird, but it's true. Most of the time, container plants have been pushed to the max with fertilizer, and their potting soil soil still has some in there. So in general, I wouldn't fertilize plants a lot the first year. I concentrate on getting rooted. So if you use any kind of tree or shrub food or vegetable food, any kind of where the numbers are about the same, use just a very, very small amount. Because if you put too much out there, they'll throw out a lot of top growth at the expense of roots. And this first summer, they need roots. So main thing I do is I work the ground up, mulch it, Keep them moist but not wet, and if you're going to fertilize them just a little bit, 
to keep them healthy because they've already been pushed to the max for this year. All right. That's good advice. Thank you, sir. Oh, Will, let me throw out one other thing. Hydrangeas and other plants with big leaves, they tend to wilt when it gets really hot, even the healthy ones. So if yours wilt one day, I wouldn't automatically water them. If they perk back up the next morning, I wouldn't. In other words, don't keep them wet. A good deep soaking a couple of times a week the first couple of weeks and maybe once a week after that. But don't keep them wet just because it wilt in the daytime and all this all this heat. That's a, That's just a preservation technique big plants, big leaf plants use. All righty. Appreciate it. Okay, Will. Thank you. Okay, now let's go down to Biloxi, down the Gulf Coast. Hey, Patrick. Good morning, sir. Hey, Felder. Good morning. So I cluttered a tree, which I was able to discern, I believe, is a citrus tree. It's about, it's in a, it's in a pot, and it's about five feet tall, but there's no fruit on it or flowers or anything. I'm almost sure it's a citrus tree. It's got those little spiky things all over it, but uh-huh. At what point do you think that I will be able to determine whether it's a lemon, a lime, a citrus, or, or whatever? Well, a couple of things. The and Most citrus plants are going to have a single leaf, you know, just one leaf shaped like a spear or something like that. Do these, by any chance, have leaflets that have three, three leaves that have three leaflets on each leaf? I do not think so. I think it's like you described with the one. Okay, sort sort of spear shape. Well, the the, the only way to tell, you know, I can sort of guess whether it's a, you know, whether it's a, uh, uh, sometimes the size of leaves will tell you something. But the only way to tell for sure is just to wait, and it'll bloom in the winter time, late winter, early spring. So there's no way really to tell till next year. So I just got what well, I was curious when it was going to bloom and produce because it's got no flowers or, or anything. It just has the leaves and the little spiky thing. Yeah, it, it it won't it won't flower until uh, late winter, early spring. Let, but you say you just planted it, though, right? No, I did not. I, it's still in the container. Okay. Uh, here, here's something I would do this first year, assuming that it's going to be in a regular size one. This year, if it's got a bunch of twigs or branches, imagine five years from now you'd have a trunk and three or four main limbs, and then it bushes out. Well, this year. Only leave what's on the tree that will be main limbs later. If it's got seven or eight branches with twigs and all, thin them out to just three or four or maybe five growing in different directions, and then cut all the branches off of those so that they'll bush out at the ends. In other words, go ahead and start on the framework of the tree. The energy that will go to what you cut off will go to what's left. So thin it out to just three or four, maybe five things that will become limbs, and then cut the branches off of those, and your, your tree will have a big head start on springtime. I will do it. I appreciate it. And I have to agree with your previous caller. I, I think uh, wasting gin on, the, on a tree to kill bugs is, is uh, <laughs> just a waste of good gin, but I'll, I'll try that. <laughs> like I say, alcohol, I mean, uh, rubbing alcohol if you got it. There you go. <laughs> See right. you, my friend. Okay. Okay, folks, we're going to take a real quick break and come back. We've got plenty of time. got 45 minutes of talk, excuse me, 15 minutes, which is we can get in a whole bunch of phone calls. And you want to give me a call, it's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. Shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. Here it is, this uh, summer solstice day. We're talking about gardening here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Horticulture's fell to Russia and me and Java and all the other folks at MPB standing by just to chat with you about gardening. We'll take, we'll take a real quick break and come back after this.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. All righty, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fellow Russian here is this Solstice Day. I uh, got an email from Wilbur Martin down in Hattiesburg. Said is he uh, has a hydrangea in a pretty big pot. His foliage is held through the second year with no flowers on it. Um, it's not too late for some hydrangeas to bloom, but you know, when you when you put a plant that normally grows really big in real dirt into a pot, it's more sensitive to fertilizer, to watering, to things like that. Only thing I can suggest, if you're growing a big plant in a pot, whether it's a hydrangea or a fig or a citrus tree or, or even a rose, is to thin out the branches so that there's fewer, there's less growth, less 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 trouble with the roots. So in other words, take the stress off the roots in the pot by thinning out some of the top branches. You can also prune a hydrangea. A lot of in the late winter they tend to bloom on new growth that comes out in the spring. So otherwise, I'm just guessing. Um, also, uh, we're going to go up to the Delta in just a second, but Java, what's, what you got going on today? Oh, man. Uh, well, actually, it's a question come from the phone lines. Uh, the um, question uh, asker <laughs> couldn't stay on the yep. line, but he uh, has a peach tree, and this year his peaches are covered in some kind of wax, and he wanted to know if it was something he could do about it. I guess they're not as you know fuzzy as a traditional peach would be to maybe kind of slick kind of waxy feeling and uh he's huh. trying to see if there was something he can do about it well yeah well, that's that's a good question i'm gonna have to to make a real educated guess here uh the, there's only one difference between a peach and a nectarine and that's that fuzz i'm just wondering if he might have accidentally gotten a, a nectarine if it's had peaches before and they're not doing that i've never heard of that in my life never 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 so you know my educated guess was if his first time he's had fruit and they're slick it's a nectarine and again a nectarine is just a peach with no fuzz um, but if it's a regular peach been doing it for years and doesn't have fuzz i have no earthly idea uh, but i'd see how i'd bite into one and see how it tastes if it tastes okay i wouldn't wouldn't worry about it you know if you can't fix it flee it or fight it i tend to flow with it so anyway let's go over to greenwood and talk with bill hey bill hey uh Felder, are you still in england or have you come i home? am no i i'm oh. i'm still over here i just got back from visiting the botanical garden in the big greenhouse over in liverpool home of the beetles oh. big oh, big liverpool. greenhouse Did you get to see any of the beetle places Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a small town. Liverpool is a, it's a cool place, but it's, it doesn't take very long to, to, to do all that. It's a whole lot of stuff besides the Beatles there. But anyway, what you got going on? Well, I've got some cactuses. They have gotten way too big for the little pots, and I, I need to transplant them. And, and I, I want to know what should I, what kind of, how big a container should I put them in? I got like about eight, and uh, I bought some of this uh, cactus potting mix, but I was wondering uh, what should I add to it, and, and somebody told me you just put pure sand, but I, I don't think that. No, the I, I never. You know, I, I have grown potted plants for literally decades, half a century in some cases, literally half a century old. I'd never put sand in a potting soil ever. You know, you want drainage, which means you know this white crunchy stuff they call perlite. Yeah. You can mix a little. You can if your potting soil doesn't already have some perlite, you can buy a small bag and just mix a little bit in there. You know, you just want the extra water to drain. Cactus and succulents actually will grow in just plain old potting soil, but they don't want to stay wet. So the perlite is what I would add to, 
for that drainage. And as far as how big a pot, it depends entirely on the kind of cactus or succulent. I grow some that are perfectly happy in pots that are no, not much bigger than a teacup, some that I can't put my arms around the pots. So it depends on the size of the cactus, the type of cactus. If you're not sure, uh, Bill, you can shoot me uh, some pictures of them. I can give you some advice, but I've been growing cactus and succulent for since I was 10 years old. And uh, yeah, there's really... So it really depends. You know, you can actually put several in one pot if you want to. Yeah, that's they're, what they're I do. About like, they're about like maybe a foot tall. Uh, well, you know, they, you know, I, I would keep them in a pot that's just big enough to hold them up so they don't flop over because they don't need a lot of too much potting soil. You're likely to stay keep them a little too wet. So not now, the answer would be not too big a pot for the plant. How about that? Would it be good to take them outside, let them get some good sun, but don't let them get in the rain? Would that be good? If 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 you've kept them inside and you put them out in the sun, that they can get sunburned. That's happened to mine oh, before. Really? So if they're if, if they're oh yeah oh yeah, it's just like people. Just I mean, a, a dog can get sunburned. <laughs> so the main thing, if you're going to put it outside for some fresh air and water, keep it in a lightly shaded place because if they're used to that indoors. They'll get sunburned outside real quick. The new leaves that come out will get used to the new conditions. The old leaves, they'll burn quick, and you can imagine. Okay, well, thank you so much, Felder. I enjoy your show very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, uh, Bill. And by the way, I got an email from uh, uh, from from my friend Philip Barnes. I want to know if my maypop is is uh, doing well. I planted a maypop last year. I cut it back, and this spring it had lots and lots of little stems at the at the bottom, and I thinned those out. So I'm sure it's doing. Great. Maypop grows in poor, hot, dry condition like a fence row. They don't want to be in really, really good dirt. Let's slide down to Mobile and talk to Kenzie. Good morning. How's it going, man? So far, so good. Not too bad. Right on. Uh, I was going to ask you, uh, do you have any, like, uh, traditions or uh, practices for the solstice? For, for, for the what? For, for, for the summer solstice. Oh, solstice. Uh, well... No, I, you know, I, I used to burn, I always do for the wintertime. I burn a fire every, for the winter solstice, summer solstice. I mostly try to stay inside and drink some iced tea. There's some really good celebrations and I've actually been to, to Stonehenge for both the winter and the summer solstice. Um, awesome. But then there's some really, some really cool ones out there. There's uh, if you're not sure with Litha, L-I-T-H-A, Google that one. Right on. All right, I, I appreciate it, man. Uh, have, have a okay. good one. Take it easy. Pre- appreciate it. Happy, happy Litha to you. L-I-T-A says summer solstice. You know, a lot of superstitions have been out there for a long time. I'm not really a superstition person. Matter of fact, I resent it when a black cat crosses my path because I wish it didn't even think about it. Um, but when it comes to solstices, change of the seasons, people have always gone by things that are meaningful in their lives. And the, the coming of the spring with, the, with the, the new growth and the promise of fruit and all, the giving thanks and celebrating in the fall, preparing for wintertime, uh, all those things are deeply ingrained in human history. And I think it's important that we, we, we recognize that, whether we celebrate it or not. Some people celebrate just about anything, including birthdays. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. But in general, it's good to keep in mind that how much we depend on the way the, the world is set up and the seasons and the weather and things like that. And uh, plan ahead uh, for, for what we need to and celebrate what we've got and share with others. I think that's all real important. Uh, by the way, I got a, an email from uh, Stephen Duvall. He said he's got army worms. 
army worms. Uh, if there's army worms out in the lawn, believe it or not, they will mow your grass for you. Within a couple of weeks, they're gone and birds will eat them. If you'll just uh, fertilize your grass and water it, it'll get over army worm damage real, real fast. If you want to treat for caterpillars, the stuff they sell that's for caterpillars, it's a type of uh, a bacteria called BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. It's, it, it only kills caterpillars, not earthworms, not crickets, not birds that eat them, anything like that, but that works really well. But in general, by the time you notice army worms, by the time they're big enough for you to notice them, they've already done most of their damage. Uh, and it's really not that much worth fooling with it. Good, good rain, a little fertilizer, grass will come right back. Uh, there are some insecticides that will kill them, of course, but just be careful you don't take out too much of the other good stuff, too. I uh, will mention this. I'm starting to get uh, emails about tent caterpillars, the webworms that make the big tents up in pecans and hickories and crepe myrtles and other trees. Again, every one of those tents is from one moth that laid dozens and dozens of eggs in that one spot. By the time you notice them, they've done most of the damage you're going to do. Burning them, cutting them out, does more damage than just leaving them alone. So wrap them up as best you can. Ignore what you can. I'm horticulturist fellow Rushing, and you've been listening to the Gestalt Gardener, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Um, we call it Think Radio. My producer is a laid-back but hard-working Java Chapman. Phone greeter today has been Jay White. Again, I'm your host, Phil Rushing. I'm thinking about my garden, but as we free fall in the summer, don't forget to drink water, wear a hat. We're basically shade-loving plants with more complicated emotions. Main thing is find some kids, take a walk outside, take them to a garden center, a farmer's market, any place. Show them how to do what we do best and what others have been doing all this time, and that's how to get dirty. Shoot me an email, folks. We'll see you all next week.